and Robin. We are ready for you when you are. Okay. So this is going to look a little bit different. So this year, uh, you know, God is asking for something different from us. Um, and it's so funny, just as you get comfortable doing something, he, he changes it up on you. So just as I figured out how to do worship, now i got to do it different. <laughs> so I felt like the Lord was talking to me about um, Joel. Um, and it is a story. It's kind of a little bit of a scary story, but a story of redemption um, as, and forgiveness as well. And so I'm going to try to... i got to read it to you, so... I'll try to explain some things while I'm doing it. Okay, this this was written um, probably about 835 BC to, to 796 BC. That's that's when they think it was uh, written. Uh, the people of the setting was that the people of Judah had become prosperous and complacent. They were taking God for granted. They had turned to self-centeredness and idolatry and sin. Joel warned them that this kind of lifestyle would inevitably bring down God's judgment. So, let's see. So he starts over, um, he starts by telling them, you know, everybody listen up. Bring your men, your women, your children, even the babies. Bring them all here because you need to hear this. This is what Joel's saying. And he starts, starts talking to them about this army, this mighty army that's rising up, and, and about locusts. And they think that maybe the um, army that he was talking about might have been the army of locusts, but it also, um, they're talking about him, uh, it's talking about the day of the Lord. So when, when God does come back to judge sin. And so, you know, he's saying, wake up, everybody. It says, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. All the grapevines are ruined, and all the new wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land. It is a terrible army, too numerous to count. Its teeth are sharp, as sharp as lions. They have destroyed my grapevines and figs, stripping their bark and leaving the branches white and bare. Weep with sorrow as virgins when they're when their fiancé has died. I mean, that's serious. This is serious stuff. There is no grain or wine to offer, offer at the temple of the Lord. The priests are mourning because there is no offerings. Listen to the weeping to these ministers of the Lord. The fields are ruined. The crops are empty. The grain, the wine, the olive oils are gone. So basically this crop of locusts had come through and just devoured everything. And it had done that to get to get Israel's attention uh, because they were taking God for granted. They were living in sin and uh, just not thinking anything about God's laws. So, um, hold on a second. So the main message of this is that a plague of locusts had come, come to discipline the nation. Joel called the people to turn back to God before an even greater judgment occurred. Um, God judges all people for their sins, but he is merciful to those who turn to him and offers them salvation. 
So as this story is going on, I mean, there's earthquakes. Um, this army is running with, like, extreme precision, and it's just devouring the land. It says at one point that everything in front of them was Eden, like the Garden of Eden, and everything behind them was a desolate, like, wasteland. So this, this army was coming through and, and just eating everything up. And then it says, this is, why, this is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in grief. Instead, tear your hearts. And what's that, what that means is that um, back in the New Testament, they used to put ashes on their hair, head and tear their clothes to, as a sh- sign of grieving. But he didn't want a show of it. He actually wanted them to feel it in their hearts. And so um, this says, um, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. Who knows, perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, send you a blessing instead of a terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you you will be offered able to offer grain and wine offerings to the Lord again. Um, let's see. Then the Lord, if you do this, the Lord will take, hold on. Then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of this land. He will reply, look, I am sending you grain and wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will remove these armies from the north and send them far away. That was the army that was devouring everything. He will send them far away. I will drive them back into the parched wastelands where they will die. Those in the rear will go to the Dead Sea, and those in the front will go to the Mediterranean. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice, because the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid. He even asked the animals of the pastures not to be afraid, because God was going to grow the pastures and give them water again. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the stripping locusts, the cutting locusts, the swarming locusts, and the hopping locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced like this. Then you will know that I am here among you, my people of Israel, and that I alone am the Lord your God. My people will never again be disgraced like this. And then it says, And then after I have poured out my rains again, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will be turned to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, yes, give me a second. I'm thinking, so what? So basically, God is um, 
talking about his his promises that he is. Um, oh, could you see? I can't see <laughs> the light. So what, this new um, kind of worship that I feel like, you know, God is asking of us, for even myself, it's a little bit scary because it means, you know how hard I had to try not to prepare this week? I wanted to have everything just really set out so that I would know what I was going to do and, you know, have my chords all written down and all this stuff. And it was like, he kept saying, no, no, not yet. No, no. And I'm like, this morning, I was like, it's getting a little late. (laughs) Shouldn't I put something? And so um, Pepper had sent me um, a song that the Lord had given her as well that she she felt that um, she was to sing over us um, today for bringing in the new year. And I was like, oh, man. Not only are we not planning, we're writing songs and <laughs> all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, God, but what is it that you want to say, you know, in all of this? And the reason I read Joel, um, the book of Joel to you, because I know some of it's kind of harsh, but it's to remind you of who God is and how patient he has been. But he won't be patient forever. And that's what this is talking about. So he's saying, you know, turn to me with your whole heart's and none of this bad stuff that I'm telling you will happen to you. And so um, I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, manipulative or anything like that, but we're talking about the God of the universe who we belong to him. He owns everything. So what else could we give but all of our worship? And when we worship, you know, what does that look like? Well, I know there's a, you know, a lot of people say, well, you can worship just sitting you can just be thinking about God. You know, you can sing a couple lyrics if you feel like it. But actually, no, no, no. That's not worship. Not at all. So, you know, there was a time when people would say, well, don't, don't try to make people have to raise their hands or even get on their knees because, you know, that's just, you know, God loves them anyway. You know what? That's true. God never changes. He loves us completely. But he deserves to see our love for him. And when you posture yourself in a position of worship where you're just saying, God, take it all, have everything, something happens in your heart. You might not even feel like it when, it, when, you're, when we first start. But I challenge you, take a posture of worship and of praise and see what God will do. I will tell you that he really strongly has been telling me that we're not going to be playing games anymore. And, you know, at first I was like, okay, no games, you know, what are we going to do? And the more I thought about it, and I was like, it became more of a like, whoa, we're not playing games anymore. If you truly know who God is, (laughs) gosh, he's kind to us. Do you remember when the children of Israel... Um, and Moses were about to go up the mountain and Moses was just enamored and he just, he just couldn't help but to move towards the mountain to God. But all the Israelites were scared to death, you know? And it's interesting because Moses had that relationship with God, so he knew his loving kindness. These other people that were at the bottom of the mountain making golden images, you know, while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments, I'm like, 
you guys are stupid, but if you think about it, we do the same thing. You know, we come into church and, uh, you know, I don't really know what we do sometimes. But when we go out in the day and we live the way we live, uh, you know, just not holy, not righteous, not like God's watching us, when we do that, that's the same as the Israelites building those idols at the bottom of the mountain, you know, while Moses was up there. And that's a whole other story, but... I just, there is, um, I have a couple things for us today. I know some of us probably can't get in a posture of on our knees, but those of you that can, I'd like for you to just actually come up here. There's pillows. You could even take cushions off the couch, you know, to do this. But I promise you, if you do not, you probably will not partake in what's going to happen this morning because it has everything to do with our posture. Thanks, Ange. Yes, it has everything to do with our posture. So, is that Lisa too? She's doing it too. Awesome. You guys, you're gonna go, you're gonna go up here and play the drums. So you guys, yeah, no, you, you're coming up and singing with me as well. But um, yes, that'd be great. Um, there is something that, that God's wanting to do deep inside of each one of us. It's going to be really important as we go into this new day. You need to be able to posture yourself before the Lamb of God, the King of the universe, the Lamb who was slain. In order to see him rightly and give him worth and honor him rightly. This is important. So don't just listen to me. Don't just be on your phone. Uh, Not while we're worshiping. See, that's the thing. That's my point exactly. We need to have a reverence for God that we don't dare even pick up, you know, distractions while he's asking for everything from us. How many of you want to step into the things that Vince and Angie have been talking about over this last month? Do you want to see it? Do you? How about raise your hands? Yeah. Don't just think things in your head. Raise your hands. Very good. (laughs) That's the thing. This is, yep, I see it. This is a participant I said a word, participatory type of type of activity. You might think, well, Robin's doing, up, doing enough up there for all of us. No, I'm not. I'm doing my best to give him what I have, but nobody can give him what you have. Nobody. So if you are able to come up here and kneel, and you're able to take a posture before the Lord that says, that says, here I am. Here, you need a pillow. Titus, Cody Ken, you're able to. Zane, you're able to. Very good. Come up here close to me.
thinking of that song. How astonishing, how bewildering, the ruler of the universe. Yeah, he wants me, and he loves me. He's wild about me. How astonishing, how bewildering, the ruler of the universe. Yes, he loves me, and he wants me. He's wild about me. Oh, Jesus. How we love you, God. How we love you, Jesus. Father, I pray that space in our hearts right now would open to you, open to your Holy Spirit. And God, and that your fire and your 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 electricity would just begin to come forth from each one of us. And as we worship, may it get brighter. May it get hotter. Father, we don't come together to waste time. We're not wasting time. God, we're seeking you. This is one time a week that we can all be together to seek your face, to see what you want to do in our communities, in our families. God, as parents, we want to be an example to our children of what it means to honor you. And God, we repent for not not showing you rightly to them. God, we've shown them your love and your kindness, but we haven't shown them your justice. We haven't shown them that, and God, I repent for that. Father, forgive us. And God, we vow this day, this day forward, God, we will, we will honor you and give you worth that you're due. We will show our children and our families how to worship rightly. How to worship rightly. There is a right and a wrong way to worship. God, you want our full attention, our full attention. All eyes on him. All eyes on him. Thank you, Jesus. God, in the story that we just read in Joel, Father, you, are, you want us to turn to you, and your main thing that you were telling me is that this year, in 2023, you're going to restore what the worm and the locust have eaten. You're going you're gonna to restore it. You're going to build the wall. During this time, the um, children of Israel were also trying to build up the build up um, the walls around Jerusalem, and you know the foes kept knocking them down. But he says that he's going to make up those breaches. He's going to raise them up. He's going to do it, and he's going to heal. Um, I'm just going to play that this song for you. And I want you to listen to the words, and I want you to worship with me. Say it to him. The words go like this. He says, I will build again the foundations. I will raise up the breaches thereof. I will raise up many generations, and I will heal, saith the Lord. I will restore what the worm has eaten, and the years that the locust destroyed. I will return and bring again my people, and I will heal, saith the Lord.
we got a word for 2023 for an life. I don't know if it's published anywhere for everybody to read. It is. It, is it on the blog? It's on the blog. If you haven't read it, you should definitely go read it. Um, but one of the first things in there that I feel like is so important to start our year with and hopefully have throughout the year to remind us is one of the main things that we are doing this year is we're recounting, retraining, and rebuilding. This will be the theme of the year. You are a house of myrrh, and I am building you up. Count the cost. So I say that as we go into um, uh, talking about restoration of the family, because I want that on our front of our minds, that that is what we're doing. We're recounting, retraining, and rebuilding up and everything that we do this year. Um, in there, there are several points that talk directly about family and family healing and really the restoration of family in general. So I'm not going to read all of those, but you guys do need to go read that because <laughs> it's good. So when I started looking at this, I just kind of asked the question, what is family? So I went to Google. Google, what's a family, right? And Google has three main definitions. And the first one is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. And then two is all descendants of a common ancestry. And three is a group of related things, such as like in biology or math, right? That makes a family. Those fit, they're good. But when I really think about family, I think of the Acts Church. And Acts 4, 32 through 35 is, I think, a really good picture of what family is really supposed to be about. Um, now, the entire group of those who believe they were believer, oh, sorry, let me try that again. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, apostles were giving, giving testimony of the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was among them. For there was not one needy person among them, because all those who own the land among them, because of all of those own land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was... This was then distributed to each person as needed. No one wanted for anything. And that's a great picture of family. It's often what's talked about, I feel like, with the church family. But then the sad thing is, in our own homes, that's not the picture of family we have, let alone out in the church. Right? So we need to bring that back. Um, and then... I think kind of where we're going with this is kind of like, how do we, well, first of all, my question was, how do we restore family to God? But that was very quickly challenged with better, how is God going to restore family to himself? Because that's really what it is, right? He's told us this is happening this year or not. Whether you're ready to get on board or not, this is happening. And so we now need to look at better at how is he going to do this? And what does this look like? And what are you, how do you need to learn to let go of 
those secret spots, right, those doors that you have chained closed that you need to open up for God to be part of those kind of nasty parts of your life, right, and family. And this really does start with our own homes. Um, Robin already kind of talked about this with worship, right? Families, in a book called Family Worship, um, it kind of, it talks about there that families should be like little churches, right? We should be worshiping in our homes. And then when we come here, we aren't starting from the bottom of worship. We're already halfway there, at least, if not further, right? And that's what's going to bring that together. And that's really where I believe that restoration needs to start, right? Is when we're able to bring that heart of worship and bring who God is into our homes, it starts there. And God is all about family, right? He, he adopted us, right, into his family. He said, I love them enough that I want them to be part and have the inheritance the same. He wants us to have the same relationship that he has, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. He wants us to have with him, and I believe that he also wants to see that in our families. And not just the people you live with, not just the family that's here in this building or that's online that are easy to get along with, He wants that crazy uncle out there that you're like, I can't stand him, but once a year I see him at Thanksgiving, right? He wants you to have that same relationship with that person. That's easier said than done. Because as humans, we tend to hold each other accountable for, not accountable, hold each other hostage, thank you, that's the word, hostage of the things that have happened in the past, right? Decisions that have been made. And I see this held hostage of generations that are past that people have never even met, right? You hear stories of great aunt so-and-so who made this mistake, and it's still affecting your family today because somewhere along the line, people have decided that we're going to hold that person hostage. And guess what? That person's not even around to be able to repent of it anymore, and yet you're still letting it control who you are as a person and as a family. And that takes a toll on the family, right? It causes problems. As I was writing out notes and doing this, I wrote that we need a new foundation, which immediately brought me to the movie Encanto. (laughs) If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you. (laughs) But Encanto is a family who gets a gift. The grandmother gets a gift and it saves the family. But then through that gift, each generation after has these amazing abilities and amazing talents, right? She holds this gift so tightly that in the movie, it literally is cracking the foundation of their home. And it literally is breaking down who the family is meant to be. And it took the house falling down, everybody losing their gifts, everybody losing what they had to be able to see that the gift was only one part of it and that they really needed to let go of that to be able to take on more and use their gifts fully. So I'm going to let Michael take over from here for a little bit. I'm going to have you up. So not discussing. 
So that was part of, I, thank you for setting up. That's kind of the part that I, that prompted me to, to find what I found. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. I feel like we've all kind of been through, through the last couple of years feeling torn down, feeling like we're being compressed, being pushed down, having a hard time seeing a light at the end of this tunnel. Um, but, but I think it was, it was a clearing of the foundation so we can start rebuilding and rebuilding what it's supposed to look like. So, um, something that I found is I was just like searching worship because I feel like that's kind of the central theme of it. Um, you know, especially after today, very clear that that's, that's where we need to start with this. And early in the Bible, it, it talks about worship as an act of things that we come to do together. We put something on a pyre, we burn it, we have this cultural thing around it where we have to go do it, where as we, as we go further and further and further into the New Testament, it says it's something in you that you do, sometimes in private, because, you know, sometimes we're being oppressed from outside sources, but it stops being a central activity and starts being something that you present to yourself. Um, so the biggest one that I thought is Deuteronomy 26.10, um, and now, Lord, I've brought you the first portion of the harvest you've given me from the ground. This place to, maybe I should have my glasses. Then place the produce before the Lord and God and bow to the ground and worship before him. So bringing your first, not just your last. So back to the Encanto. Um, that, that familial tie is going to be what is successful for us. Um, those those things that we bring with joy, the things that we bring first as a family, and not just as an individual family group, but as a church together. I think it's um, it's it's hard to talk about restoration of family without um, coming back to the parable of, of the lost son or the parable of the good father, depending on how you want to uh, look at it. And it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. So, that, so then he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him um, to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His, then his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf and be because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all the years, these years I've been slaving for you and, and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, his, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with, with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have, we have to, had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there are two perspectives, two examples of restoration of family I see in this. Um, First is, of course, the obvious one, the, the son comes, comes home. The prodigal left home after declaring his father dead to him. When he asked for his inheritance, he was saying, um, Father, you're, you're no longer part of my life. You're dead to me. Just give me what, what would be mine if you died. And um, he, he um, left and picked up everything. He went and squandered his inheritance and found himself in need. But he... At, at his point in need, he came to his senses. The father didn't even allow for this, and he returned to his father's house. The father didn't even allow for his son to grovel, as was his plan, but immediately restored him to the family, to the full status of sonship. Um, he, he, he said, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. That is not something that a servant has. That The, the ring is, is, a, is a symbol of of authority. Um, but example two, there was the second brother who in a, in a sense exiled himself. At the end of the parable, we find that the father is throwing a party for the younger brother and when the older brother finds out, he refuses to join or even go into the house. The parable ends with the father outside the party with the older son trying to persuade him to get over himself and join in. We don't know what happens in the parable, but in life we often see the spirit of the older brother. And in, this, in, in society today, we're, we're seeing the spirit of the older brother rise up in individuals and, and in, even in groups. But the, the key thing that I see this year is we're going to see a breaking of the spirit of the, of the older brother. 
And we're going to we're going to see I believe we're going to see the older brother come to his senses, just like the other younger brother did. He's going to find himself in need, come to his senses. And once again, the father is going to he's going to restore him to the place of authority. So what does this parable mean for the family when the individuals are restored to the father? when when individuals are restored to the father, it inevitably leads to restoration of the family. The family unit, God is all about family. Um, he is a family. The divine trinity is a family. And, and so when somebody is restored to him, it, it inevitably pours out into their family. He talks about um, when a man gets saved, he saves his household. Um, now, in a sense, this restoration is in the mind of the individual as the father has been expecting, expectantly waiting for each of us to come to our senses. The restoration resonates throughout all aspects of life, including the family, especially the family. It strengthens the household as well as the congregation. Do you, have, do you have more? I just wanted to finish out the Encanto story. If you have something else before that. It just goes so perfectly with this. And in fact, you know, probably kind of modeled after it. But anyway, so as the, as the Encanto continues, the, you know, the grandmother who was so, um, so selfish and protective and, and overbearing, um, they, it comes to a head. And as, as the things break apart, People, people from the community come in and step in and help build that house back. And then at the end, everybody grows from it because everybody's bringing their piece of this puzzle back. They're bringing their energy, bringing their gifts, you know, even those that don't understand how important this is. And then everybody benefits from it. Yes, it is. It is a, it's a really good movie. Actually, Disney did a really good job with that one. And it's one we have, we have on repeat and may have memorized. We watched it the other day. Annabelle may have said half the lyrics through it, including the songs in Spanish she sings. So, you know, yeah, sing something. Um, so for me, I am such a tangible person, right? I want something to do, right? And I see you guys sitting over here playing on phones, only half listening, I'm sure. But very much this topic can feel like something that, oh, my parents need to do, or they need to take care of. And it's not that, <laughs> right? We aren't waiting for the older generation to fix this, because that's not their job, right? It is your job in the position you're in to fix the generations of things that have pulled apart our families. <laughs> Um, so, but how do we do that, right? That's the question of how do we do that? Um, first of all, be true to who you are, right? Be true to who God has made you to be. We've seen this through fostering is it can take us just teaching the kids that have come into our home who they are and whose they are, that they are God's, that they go back and it changes how their parents interact with them right? 
not saying it can just magically change everything, right? Parents have to make some agreement here, but it changes how their parents interact with them, and it starts making those steps of things changing, right? And we're talking little kids, right? We've had some little kids in our home, and we've watched things change with their parents, and even adopted parents that have taken them in from our home. We've watched things change, and it starts because these kids don't leave our house knowing, not knowing whose they are, right? They know they are gods, and they know they are valuable. Every single one of them knows them that is royalty, because when they come into our house, they are kings and queens, and they leave knowing that, and they take that with them, right? And you guys sitting here, you have the advantage. You've been told that since you were little, that you are royalty. You just now need to take that crown and put it on and own it because that is who you are. Um, The other thing that when I was writing this out that came over me that I thought of was a word that was spoken over me that I was going to heal generational curses. Okay, I threw that out there. Angie had some really tough questions for me about it, which I have some notes here about it. But I think what I really want to get to in this is that was spoken over me in 2019. And I did what so many of us do with prophecy. I have it in a book, and I put it aside. And I set it aside, and I left it there, right? That's not doing anything with it, right? Healing generational curses is a big word, right? And I've had other ones that kind of go along with that. I've had one where somebody that didn't even know me said that someday I would hand out identities to girls in my kitchen, like I was handing out recipes to them. Um, I've had one about opening an orphanage, right? All of that has to do with family and generations in there. I can continue to keep those in a book, or I can take those words and ask God, what do you actually want me to do with these, right? And I think that's something that Angie has talked about for this next season, this next year, that we no longer are taking our prophecies and holding on to them we now are going and stepping forth with them. And if you aren't and you continue to hold on to them, it's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be good. It's going to be like you're, I just feel it like locked in a cage, right? The cage is open and you've been given those prophecies and you either need to go or that key's getting, that door's getting closed again and you're going to be locked in and everybody else is going to be going. So that's the other thing you can do. All of you have had words spoken over you of amazing things. It is now your job to sit with God and Holy Spirit and ask, how do I do this? Because when we are true to ourselves, such as the prodigal son and Canto, all of these, right? When we are true to who we are, that makes changes, right? The father and the prodigal son wasn't true to who he was. That son could have easily been a servant in his field, right? But he knew who he was and whose he was and whose that son belonged to, right? and took him in, and made that change. We can only hope from the story that the brother chose to see his brother the same way, right, eventually, or he can continue to hold that over him, and that causes problems, right, generations down. Um, The other part of this is I've had dreams this last six months easily, constantly, of houses and homes and just about every other dream that I have is 
the main thing in it is a house or a home, something about that. And the one thing that I have learned from these dreams overall is it doesn't matter the size of the house or the style of the house to make it feel like a home. It's what the family did for each other. I had one dream where it was a really rundown house and there were rooms that were flooded, but everybody in the family was making the best of it to fix the situation, do it together, right? And that felt like a home in my dream. I had another one. It was a beautiful palace. Actually, a lot of you were there, which kind of calls out some other things with our church, but it was a beautiful palace and it was gorgeous. But the majority of people were sitting focused on little things, such as the tile at the front entryway. And I was standing there and I was watching it from a window. I was watching angels come down. But people around were more focused on the physical structure of this house, such as what the tile of the entryway looked like, than the fact that angels were coming down from the heavens in my dream, right? We can miss it. And I think we miss it when we choose not to engage in the gifts that are around us, right? If we choose to sit here every single Sunday and not engage in Robin's gift of worship, you're missing the angels, guys. You're missing it. If you don't engage in the gifts of those in your home, you're missing it. So engage in what's around you and engage in what God is calling you to. So, Jeff or Mike, do you guys have anything else? Pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for family. Lord, I thank you for the restoration of family that is to come. Lord, I'm so excited to see families whole and families united. So much more power can come through that. And I thank you for that. Lord, I just bless this week ahead of us. And I just hope that everybody has a safe travels home. Amen.